1: We rely on these promises. Why is this so important? I want to teach you a simple principle. I've told you this in different ways from time to time, but here it is. If God did what he said he would do in Jesus, you can count on him to do what he says he will do for you. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect something about a name. I don't know if you noticed this week, but it made international news that a Southwest airline gate agent made fun of a child's name and it became an internet sensation. You know, a name brings back all kinds of thoughts and and all kinds of emotions to us. They have meaning to us. Since I'm was old enough to remember, I remember my parents driving into me the idea that my name had meaning. I remember, I think first, probably my mom saying, You were named after two men in Scripture. You were named after the Apostle Paul and after Stephen. Now, if you know much about the New Testament, you know that that explains why I'm kind of conflicted and sometimes act schizophrenic because Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul and he was standing there at the stoning of Stephen and it kind of makes me confused sometimes. But two great men in scripture. There's something about a name. When our boys were born, we sought to give them names that have great meaning. My oldest son, Micah, graduates from college this weekend. And I'm thinking about just what he's going through. Yeah, give him a hand. Maybe he can watch this and be encouraged. But when he was born, we thought of that verse in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. What does God require of you, O man? But to to do do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And so all through his life, I've reminded him of that. And and then we have, of course, Caleb and and Noah. Noah's our son that one of his two names is not a biblical character. We got as close as we could get outside of the Bible. He's named after Billy Graham. So it's Noah Graham. And then, of course, uh, Luke is actually Josiah. Luke. He's named after that great child king, that great leader, and then Dr. Luke in, in the Gospels. And and then when God allowed us to adopt our, our precious daughter, you know, we wanted to be sensitive because we recognized that uh, she had been given birth names, but we have an opportunity as we brought her into our family and that adoption uh, became uh, finalized just over a year ago. And so uh, our daughter was born without sight. She was born blind. And so. From the moment we met her, we began to just pray over her, Second Corinthians 5-7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And so when it came to that moment of legal adoption, we added it to her names, and, and now she also has the name Faith. There, there's something about a name. Hey, if, if a human name can carry such great meaning, I want you just to think about how important the names of God must be. And the Bible is full of the importance of the names of God. Early this morning, I was reading in a a new translation. It's called the Passion Translation. I was reading in the Psalms, and listen to what it says in Psalms chapter 8. Lord, your name is so great and powerful. People everywhere see your splendor. Your glorious majesty streams from heaven, filling the earth with the fame of your name. The Bible is full of references to the names of God. In in fact, if you have a search engine of scripture, you can just look through some of that in the Psalms. And it would take us all morning just to give you all the ones in the Psalms. Let me just give you a few, a handful. Psalms 910, and those who know your name put their trust in you, O Lord. You have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalms 4517, I will cause your name to be remembered to all generations. Psalms 751, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. Psalm 115, one. not to us, O Lord, but to your, to your name. As we sing it, be the, or give us, gl- give glory. We could go on and on. In the New Testament, we're taught to pray in his name and to hallow his name. We're taught to fear his name, to find authority in his name, to praise his name and tell about his name. The names of God are a big deal. So I want us to do something I, I want us just on the count of three to just vocalize, to verbalize one of the names of God that is meaningful to you. And I've told you the Bible's full of them, so there's no wrong answer. This is not one of those questions where Jesus is the only right answer. So on the count of three, you just, you just verbalize one of those names of God. One, two, three, Messiah. Messiah. Isn't that great? The wonderful, matchless, marvelous names of God. It's no surprise that one of the most moving spiritual songs that we could sing is about the simple name. Sing it with me.
2: Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Listen to this. Master Saviour Jesus like the fragrance after the rain Jesus 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 Let all heaven and earth Think about this. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. Would you just praise the name of Jesus with me this morning? He is great. He is good. He is mighty.
1: I love The name of Jesus. And the Bible says, nearing the end in the book of Philippians, it says, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that name, the
2: name of Jesus.
1: There's a new little book by Alistair Begg and Sinclair Ferguson. It begins with this quote, Jesus Christ has been given the name above all names. The names assigned to him begin in Genesis and end in Revelation. Taken together, they express the incomparable character of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Reflecting on them better prepares us to respond to the exhortations of Scripture, to focus our gaze upon him and to meditate on how great he is. And that's what we're going to do over these next several weeks. We're going to look at the names of Jesus starting today in this Old Testament passage from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah, we're looking at the promised names of Jesus. I'm told that right outside the office of a person that most people call the most powerful man in the world, there's a sign. And the sign says... Promises made, promises kept. But the truth is, remember the old saying, we're all stand on the same level ground at the foot of the cross? The truth is, all of us have made promises that we've broken. But the Bible is about the reality that our God is the original promise keeper. We are technically our great, 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 great grandparents are the original promise breakers. Remember how that worked? Adam and Eve were in the garden. God had given them everything. I and mean, the world was literally at their fingertips. And he simply said, hey, make me a promise. Don't go to this tree and eat of that fruit. They said, sure, that sounds like a good deal. And they broke the promise. We're promise breakers. But God has always been a promise keeper. And so we watch the story of redemption and revelation throughout scripture as he keeps... His promises to us. As we begin this series, we're looking at a few names of the Jesus in Scripture that speak of the promises of God. And that's important because it's at the heart of the reason that Jesus became one of us. That need to demonstrate his ability as a promise keeper. Why is that so important? Because at the heart of our problem is that we're promise breakers. We come together in places like this or we watch a a teaching from scripture like this and and we make a commitment to God and we say yes. And then our lives answer with a loud and resounding no. And Jesus entered the world as a promise keeper. God, in a demonstration of his love, promised that Jesus would come. In a a fulfillment of that promise, Jesus did come, and he's still fulfilling his promises today. We're told there are 365 promises in the Bible, one for every day of the year. We rely on these promises Why is this so important? I want to teach you a simple principle. I've told you this in different ways from time to time, but here it is. If God did what he said he would do in Jesus, you can count on him to do what he says he will do for you. If you've just joined
0: us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the watch tab at missionhillchurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more
1: of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. It took a strong man to endure the cross and despise the shame for crimes he did not commit. And Jesus is our strong man who took that for us. And because Jesus was strong enough to take what the world handed to him, he's able to make us a practical promise. God promises to supernaturally handle whatever we encounter. So understand that. Deep within this promise is the reality there will be things in your life you can't handle. Don't get that quote wrong. Don't say God won't give us anything more than we can handle. Yes, he will. He'll allow that to happen. There are going to be things you can't handle, but there's nothing he can't handle. That's why we need him. We let him handle it for us. There are times, even as I'm teaching my sons to become young men, there are times that even though I want them to have a responsibility, I have to say, hey, dad's going to take care of that. Let me handle that part of growing up is we learn when to say, you take care of that. Remember, your big God is bigger than your biggest problem. He is a mighty God, but he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and he's Jesus, our everlasting father. Now let me first say, this is a challenge to some of us that are listening. Because in our culture today, we have a crisis of fatherhood. We've got a lot of wall dads they're not taking that responsibility, that gift seriously, that challenge, that calling of fatherhood. So, for some, the idea of God as a father is confusing at best and frightening at worst. I want to remind you that if that's you in that category, that one of the things the Bible says about God is that he's a father to the fatherless. Let me tell you what this does about the divinity. When it talks about him being the everlasting or the eternal father, it speaks to that reality again that Jesus was preexistent. Let me bust another one of the myths that some of you have holded on to. Jesus is not God Jr. who just decided to show up in Bethlehem. He was there from the beginning. He's the everlasting father. So now we're talking about Jesus, Right? And so a little, sometimes we get confused because we say, why is it calling Jesus the everlasting father? Because he's three in one. It speaks to the Trinity. So again, when you have a cult or another religion that says, I don't see where the Bible speaks to the Trinity, this is one of those places. Say, pastor, explain that. No. (laughs) I'm gonna let God do that when we get to heaven. Every explanation I could give you, and I could point to Scripture and try to help us understand, but it it would be short. But he's our everlasting Father. He's three in one. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father." But as in our other names, it speaks to his humanity. So what does that mean? It, It speaks to his presence. So even if your father was absent, he wants you to know that he is present. And in fact, he goes on to say it in the original language. It's spread out so clearly. It says, I will never, no, never, not ever leave you or forsake you. He gives us his presence. He gives us compassionate companionship. And we'll all struggle with loneliness at some point in our life. But because he's my everlasting father, I have this confidence that though I may be lonely, I need never to be alone. God promises to show up supernaturally with compassion when we need him most. Are you trusting Jesus to show up in your life today? Or, or have you kind of come to a waiting point and you're, you've given up? So last week, if you were here, we talked about these bracelets that we have, and Bill and Selma, you're gonna love this story. Um, several weeks ago, some friends of mine and I went out, and Mike and Sharon, you guys too, um, we went to a park and we talked to a few folks and we did what I, I taught you last week. We just went up and said, hey, it's kind of crazy but we're going around, we're praying for folks, can we pray for you? We did this, a couple different folks and we, we ended up, I shared part of the story. We ended up talking to a lady and her husband who were there and they said, yeah, please pray for us and most of all, just uh, pray, pray for my mom. She's, she's aging and she doesn't know the Lord. That's the short version. Yesterday, I got an email from her. She said, Pastor Paul, I got to tell you, God showed up. She said, "I've been praying for my mom." When I went in to see her, one of the nurses said, "Your mom said she had a vision of Jesus, and he told her he she needed to trust him." And she said she did. She said, "When I went into the room, my mom was still in a holy awe." You could tell this shook her and you could tell that God had shown up in her life. I want you to understand. God promises to show up supernaturally with compassion when we need him most. But finally, he's not only our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father. Jesus is our prince of peace. The final time two descriptors. First, he's a prince. What does that speak to? Yeah, he's royal. He is God. He's sovereign. Why is this important when it's tied to the other descriptor, peace? What robs us of peace? Remember, things happen in our mind that catch us off guard. What catches God off guard? Nothing, because he's the sovereign king of kings, the lord of lords, the prince of peace, the ruler of all that is. And so God promises to calm our nerves with one simple request. So these are promised names that point to promises in Scripture. Earlier this week I was in a restaurant in Orlando with a pastor friend and we sat down and our our waitress came up. She had a tattoo on her arm right here as she was pouring the water. It said, saved by grace and it had a, a cross. And I said, hey, I'm trying to be hip and talk like the youngsters do so I said, uh, "Hey, that's a cool tat." <laughs> I said, "What does that mean to you?" And she teared up, and she said, "It means everything to me." I just smiled and I said, "So, are you a follower of Christ?" She said, "Yeah." I said, "When did that start?" I said about two years ago. I had a life-changing experience. I said, well, me and my buddy here, we follow Jesus too. Didn't tell her we're pastors. And uh, she said, yeah. She said, they kind of messed up the tattoo, so most people think it says Javed by Grace, and I really have trouble understanding it. (laughs) I said, no, I recognized it. So I said, hey, we're going to pray for our meal in just a minute. Is there anything going on in your life we can pray for you for? And she said, yeah, I'm really anxious right now. I said, hey, we're going to pray. Do you have a minute? And she said, I'm going to get in trouble if I stay here. I've got to run. I'll come back. And so I said, well, we'll go ahead and pray. And so we prayed for her. We called her name. We prayed for her anxiety. When she came back, I want you to hear what I told her. I said, listen, called her name. And I said, this Jesus that you followed, he promises this in the Bible. These are verses from Scripture. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication. That's your request. Make your request known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. I said, I want you to understand something, Called her name. God promises to give you peace if you just ask him. That's true for her, it's true for you. Some of us need to walk out with this simple commitment today, I've got to worry less and pray more. Worry less, pray more. Prayer moves our focus from self to God. And it changes our function from worry to worship. But hey, I want to remind you something as we ramp down here. In order to have that peace, I first got to have peace with God. And the only way I have peace with God is through Jesus and beginning that relationship with him. When I have the peace of God... I can have peace from God that gives me peace with God. And those are some promised names, aren't they? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We're promised otherworldly wisdom, supernatural strength, abiding love, and persistent peace. That's like being a superhero. God gives us that. In Jesus. But I want you to see the last verse that we read. Look again at verse seven. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, this verse tells us the what and the how. We learn the why and the who. The why is because our world's in such need. We are in such need. The who is Jesus. This is the what and the how. The what is what this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father and prince of peace will do. He will establish and uphold his rule. He will keep his promises. He will stay on his throne. He will not leave us. We will not be alone. He is with us. He's all we need. And what this is speaking to is the reality that throughout history, mankind has tried to look to government to meet their needs. And he is saying, hear me once and for all. I will control all the governments. Just depend on me. The depravity of man has caused humanity to fail. But Jesus promises a rule that never, ever fails and how amazing that is. The Christ of the galaxies, as Max Lucado says, is the Christ of your Mondays. The star maker manages your travel schedule. Relax. You have a friend in high places. Does the child of Arnold Schwarzenegger worry about tight-lidded pickle jars? Does the son of Nike founder Phil Knight sweat a broken shoestring? If the daughter of Bill Gates can't turn on her computer, does she panic? No, nor should you. The universe's commander in chief knows your name. He's walked your streets. And how will he do it? (laughs) Oh, this is good. How will he do it? With everything he's got. We memorize verse 6, but verse 7, that last phrase gives us the punch because it tells us the how. God gives us his everything. He gives you all he's got to keep his promises to you. The full weight of his name, his zeal, his passion is available to you. So the question becomes are you available to him? What are you doing to keep your promises to Him? You've been listening to The Barnabas
0: Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, You're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at MissionHillChurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to MissionHillChurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com and join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.